All right. Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight live stream. We're going to do a whole hour of question and answer on licensing. My name is Andrew Kraus. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products for royalties for the last 23 years, and we've had students in over 65 countries. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm just going to kind of wrap up my day. Quite often I'm working past five, but I had kind of a long day. So I think once I get done with this Q&A, I am out of here. But this is a great way to wrap up my day. So I'm enjoying, um, I always enjoy these. If somebody could type in yes, that they heard me, that would be great just to confirm we are good. Um, you can see my mic up here because I, I wanted to get it a little bit closer. So make sure the audio quality is good. Margie, thanks for typing that in. That's fantastic. Um, Steve and myself, and our coaches have been doing this for a really long time. Uh, we hire really good people. I'm really proud of who we are and what we do. Before we get to the questions here, um, I just want to say we have a holiday gift guide on inventright.com, which uh, with a ton of our students, I believe it's over 100, um, just recent students that have, well, some of them are recent, some of them are a while back, um, that have licensed products. And they have products currently on the market that you can buy for your loved ones, which is kind of a fun story. Hey, this inventor licensed this product and I thought I'd buy it for you. And maybe if you need to convince your friends and family that licensing is a viable business model, I don't know what says that better than here's a product that inventor licensed and now it's with this big company. So that's pretty cool. So check out um, our holiday gift guide on inventright.com. You can just Google it if, it's, if you can't find it. Google InventRight Holiday Gift Guide, you'll find it. Um, also, check out our free resources on our website. Um, that's amazing. Make sure to sign up for that. Um, and if you want to thank me in advance for doing this, you know, if you're watching the live version of this, if you're watching the, the, the replay of it, give me a thumbs up. If you're watching the live version right now, um, go ahead and subscribe down below and click the notification button. That would be great. That's the way you can say thank you to me. And you're thanking, you're, you're helping yourself too for giving you a resource for some free advice. Um, so a lot of free resources on our website. Make sure to check out the free resources. So uh, let's see. Oh, so one of um, Mike said, hi, Andrew, happy holidays. The 3,000 companies in right offer students has, that's that's something that we do for our students. Has Does that have marketing managers, direct phone numbers, and email addresses? No, it does not. It, we contacted those 3,000 companies and they said yes or yay or nay to accepting out ideas from outside inventors. We couldn't possibly manage 3,000 companies and their contacts. Even mailing list companies can't keep up with that. Um, things would get out of date pretty quick. Um, now, it's a great supplement for our students because we reached out to those companies and they said, yes, we're open to ideas. So that's 3,000 companies that are open to ideas. Occasionally we'll get a student that reaches out and the company says, oh, we're not open to ideas. And we, we have one of our coaches double check because sometimes people that aren't experienced yet, they hear one thing or they didn't ask the right way. But if, if, uh, if they are no longer open to ideas, we remove them from the list. But we do something even better for our students when we're coaching one of our students one-on-one. Um, they are guiding them. They're going, oh, that's your that's your product. Okay. That's your product. All right. So let's figure out who your potential licensees are there. And 
the student's not going, oh, well, do you have their contact info? It's like, coach is like, I don't care about that. As long as, as long as they're making products in the space of your invention and they're in major retailers you want to be in, I'm going to guide you to make that list. And then I'll show you how to get into just about anybody using LinkedIn, using the phone and using email. This, it's a really, really messed up rookie move to think like, oh, I just need a contact. Like I just need, I can only, well, this guy, Bob, I know he's been in the dental business for a while. I'll ask him who he knows and I'll just reach out to the one or two people. Um, well, let's say he's a dentist, right? It was just randomly. So you got a dental product. He's a dentist. And well, who do you buy? So, well, I know a manufacturer's rep that sells me stuff. I'll give you that link. And then that's all you reach out to. Are you freaking kidding me? No, if they're in a major retailer, you're going to reach out to their marketing managers and um, no, we do not give you that list. We're going to guide you to make that list from scratch, which is something every product developer should know. And if you're looking for somebody to like, oh, here's a contact here and there. The invention promotion companies claim to do that, but it's all BS. They just spam people from what I've seen. So um, they're not going to give you a list. They, they tell you they have a list. But when I haven't seen an inventor... I've talked to God knows how many inventors that have worked with invention promotion companies over the last 23 years I've been doing event right and 14 years I didn't invent right in my inventors association in Silicon Valley. I've never met a single inventor ever have an invention promotion company license a product for them. That's just a fact from my personal experience. Um, but they will tell you they have lists, they have contacts. It's all a bunch of BS. Um, anyway, so uh, now we have about 35 companies that we've done bridging the gap meetings with where we invite the CEO or marketing manager to come on. They go, here's a little bit about my company. Here's our product line. And here's what we're looking for. And they share all these personal details. They'll share with our, our students personal information like, oh, we need cupcake tins or we need this in automotive or whatever it is really like it's like a gold mine. And they will give us their personal information. And we do that, provide that to our students. Um, so they get it. We actually don't give it direct to the student, but they can get it. We give it to the coach and we want the coach to look at the student's sell sheet to go, is this sell sheet any good? And then give them the contact. But we don't hold back on it. We don't act as a middleman. Um, so that is great for those companies that we bring on the Zoom meetings. Not hard. It's not easy to get those uh, going. That's not super easy. Um, anyway, uh, when we have one of those tomorrow, actually, I'm re I just remembered I need to get that newsletter out for that. Um, uh, Keith said, oh, Kenneth, help. I'm stuck in the hole as a product developer. I understand and know I am a great product developer. However, I need to get on with marketing it. Okay, well, not really. Yeah, you need to market it to a company that you can license it to. But if you believe that you, you need to manufacture and sell every product that you work on, wow, that's going to be really hard, you know, you know, Retailers don't want to talk to one product companies. It takes usually hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it on any serious level. Um, yeah, you might be able to do it ten or twenty thousand dollars selling to eBay or Etsy or make it lost in a sea of other products on Amazon if you figure that out. Um, but when you license, it's their money and it's their distribution and it's their workforce. So you don't need to hire employees. You don't need to raise money. And they're already in 30,000 stores. So you just need to do the marketing material you do for that to show it to the companies, these big companies you can license it to. 
and then they will take the financial risk and do all the work and retailers will take them seriously, but quite often they won't take independent product developers seriously. So don't beat yourself up, uh, Kenneth, if you've been feeling overwhelmed with everything you would need to do to manufacture and market this thing yourself at InventRight, we're all about not having to do that. You license it to a big company. Now, you do need to do the marketing so you can show them the marketing they would show their customers. But if what you mean by marketing is you need to start trying to sell it yourself, you don't. Now, you can do that if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But for most inventors, that's, when they take a look at it, it's not truly, they don't have the money. They don't have enough money to do it. They don't have the time because they got a job or another business they're running. And they don't really want to do all the stuff that you have to do there. So when you license it, you can dump it off on a big company and let them do it. Um, Matt Miller says, hi, Andrew. Thank you for another Monday. What do you tell a company when they saw we've never done a licensing deal, but they still say send it over? Oh, when they say they've never done a licensing deal, but they still say send it over. I think it's perfectly fine. We get our students all the time that do licensing deals with companies that have never done one before. Our negotiation coach, first thing they, that our negotiation coach, Paul, will tell our InventRight student is, look, this is going to be harder. You're going to need to explain a bunch of stuff to them. But wow, this is a big company. It's worth it. Um, but it is a little bit more painful. Thank you once again, Andrew. Have a safe and happy holiday. Um, so, yeah, you got to realize it's going to be more painful. They're going to ask stupid questions. But here, here's the problem. It's like the blind leading the blind. If you're an inventor that's never licensed a product and sorry, my ears were popping. Um, and then the company's never licensed a product. You got two clueless people that don't know how to put it together. That's a recipe for disaster. Now, if you have a company that doesn't know how to license and you're an event rights student and we're guiding you through it, well, then we're going to guide you to guide them to get the deal done. So, um, but first, first and foremost, just talk to them about the product. See if they're interested. They're going to ask you questions. Don't blurt out, well, I heard Stephen and Andrew say 5%. So they ask me what I want. I'll just blurt out 5%. No. Tell them you're looking for a, a small royalty per unit. So when they're making money, you're getting making money. You don't want a bunch of upfront money or anything like that. And don't think because they don't know what they're doing that you can fool them and they're going to give it to you because they're not. Even the largest companies in the world, it could be a product you're making $200,000 a year on. Okay. And if you're asking for 50K up front, that's a deal killer almost every time, no matter how big the company is in almost every category. But it could be something you could be earning 200K a year on, right? Um, and over five years, that's a million dollars. But if you're asking for 50K up front, nah, ain't gonna work. Um, so there's a lot of stupid stuff that people do. They think it makes sense. And then they're just wondering, like, why is the company being so difficult here? This is such a great, they, the thing is, they don't want to risk give you all that money up front and they haven't made a dime on it. And they may be investing another 50,000 or 80,000 to get it going. And so they're taking all the risks, doing all the work. And now you want the money up front too. And they made a dime yet. doesn't sit well with them. But as you, if you get the money on the back end, as they make money, you make money. Now, some of them kind of trip out on like, Oh, we're going to be paying you forever on this. Yeah. Why not? I brought it to you. And that that would be a company that's never done a licensing deal before. They ask kind of stupid things. They kind of need to think about it. They're not necessarily being stupid. They're like thinking out loud, which isn't a bad thing if they're thinking out loud. But if you can just kind of guide them from the get-go before they start dreaming up scenarios or feeling like you're being unrealistic because they're 
thinking that this is what you might ask them. You just got to address those issues. But first and foremost, talk to them about the product. A lot of deals, you know, getting initial interest from a company is not a done deal by any means. Um, so it's it's very normal to talk about the product first, you know, let's talk about that first. But they do want a general idea of what you're looking to do. Then they'll be relieved to know you're not a wacky inventor looking for hundreds of thousands of dollars up front without them having made a dime on it yet. Um, uh, Kayleen said, what are the different methods that you have seen used by inventors to develop, develop great product ideas? Um, most inventors um, come up with ideas just because they see a problem. They're in the kitchen, they're experiencing a problem, and they want to fix it. I mean, that's the most common. Um, but the best way to invent is just to study the marketplace. So using Google Images, um, you could study a microcategory. You could type in kitchen cutting boards into Google Images. You could see all the kitchen cutting boards. And you could just start looking at them, look at the benefits of each one, look at the, no invention. You don't have an invention. So studying a micro category is the best way to invent and it will prevent you a lot of heartache and pain. There's nothing wrong with just coming up with a solution. You can do that. When you do that, you want to almost immediately go to Google images and study the micro category. Okay. So let's say you came up with your kitchen cutting board. You go to Google images like within a day or two, because otherwise you start to dream about it, dream about it. And then what if there's things that are exactly like it or, what if you're not really observing what else is in the marketplace and you might be able to make some changes early on when your mind is flexible, but if you've been dreaming about it for six months, you become inflexible. And I see that happen with inventors all the time. And then they don't want to study the marketplace. Well, guess what? The marketing manager that's looking at your product, they know what's in the market. You can't have blinders on and pretend like you don't. Okay. So um, it, let's say you're like, I, I want to come up with some kitchen cutting boards. Well, and you're like, I don't know yet, so I'll spend 30 minutes. So you get on Google Images, type in kitchen cutting boards. You're going to notice there's plastic ones, there's wood ones, there's ones like this, ones like that. They have these features and those features, and they range from this price to those prices. So you're just observing the category. And you might do that for half an hour. And then after half an hour, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm feeling this. I think I could come up with something here. And you want to kind of almost not try to resist, but try not to really come up with too much. If you do, write it down, put it aside. Don't focus too heavily on what you came up with, okay? Like on the fly during that 30 minutes. And then you're like, yeah, I'm feeling it. So I'm going to study this for two hours. I'm going to, I'm going to know every freaking kitchen cutting board out there, or at least all the categories and all the main features. And then you're kind of tired because you spent two hours on this. You bookmark that stuff. Right. If you want to be fancy, you can bookmark it in Evernote. You can bookmark it in your browser. You can make some notes on your computer, on the paper. I don't care. You could bookmark it in your browser, put a note with the bookmark. I don't care, but you can't keep it in your head. You will go, where was that? I forget. You know, don't do that to yourself. Then you walk away. Now, if you want to, you could spend another half an hour then inventing right there on the fly. Okay. You walk away. Maybe the next day it comes to you in the shower or when you're driving or you come back, you sit back to your computer, you sit down. You kind of like now you're in brainstorming mode. You're like, okay, what's missing? I understand this space. I could have been working in a kitchen store. Let's say if there is a kitchen store, I could be working in a major Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that where they have a lot of kitchen products. And you, because you spent two hours, no more than somebody that's been working in a kitchen-related retailer for, for a decade because you really got into that micro category. They only saw it was in their retail store. You saw everything. 
all right? And now you come up with an invention and you don't force it. You know, you sit at your computer, you're like, you know, I have some thoughts and you come back the next day. When you invent with the marketplace in mind, because you've studied the micro category. And when I, I call it a micro category because studying all kitchen products would be overwhelming. Studying all kitchen cutting boards is doable. You know, that's probably a pretty broad category. There's some, you can even make it more narrow. Well, I'll just do wooden kitchen cutting boards or something. And then, you know, it might come to you walk and you could do that with a couple of categories. And by getting all that visual exposure with Google Images, that is the best way, absolute way to invest, invent. Almost no inventors invent that way. But industrial designers who are trained product developers, they're trained to study the marketplace. Most inventors don't. You should. Now, you can just come up with stuff that solves problems. But if you do that, immediately do what I just explained and study a micro category. So, uh, Kayleen, um, hopefully that was helpful. That is the best way to invent. Now, there's all sorts of um, tricks and stuff that we teach. I mean, you could do mix and match. You could take a product here and match it with that product. But I think it's always better to, or you could say, what if? Well, what if cutting boards could do this? Or what if that? It's always better to study the marketplace, then use mix and match techniques where you're combining two products, maybe from one from kitchen and then one from garden or something weird like that to come up with ideas. Maybe you're, just because you're looking at all these other products in the space, you're coming up with different solutions or variations to what's there. Um, you can do what if, well, what if monkeys could fly? What if kitchen cutting boards could be vertical instead of horizontal? It makes no sense, but ask yourself silly questions and you might come up with stuff that way. So there's a lot of different techniques you can do there, but always comes back to the core is studying the micro category of your invention. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Margie said, hi, Andrew, I have a pillow product. I've been contacting companies. I haven't contacted my pillow. He's a character, isn't he? Uh, because I'm not sure if the company is still profitable. I've tried to research it, but, uh, but can't. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, here's, I would, oh, find real information. Do you have any advice to go about this? how to go about this and whether I should have pursued this company. It's the same as any other company. It, are they in major retailers? If you notice that not a single major retailer is carrying their product anymore, I might be concerned about that. And I know that some retailers have kicked into the curb um, because of some of the things he said or whatever. Um, we're not going to get political guys here. We're not political organization, but he is, he is a character. Let's just say that. Um, so do they still have distribution? You know, uh, are they selling stuff from their site? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other companies that are probably smaller than his. He's a very well-known company that might have um, smaller distribution. I really wouldn't spend any time thinking about it. If you see as distribution uh, and you want a license to that company, then I'd just go ahead and reach out. I wouldn't overthink it. I mean, if you get into a deal and then you, you're asking the company or a person at the company, what's your intention for this product? You're going you're gonna to analyze that. You don't need to know how many employees they have or what dollar figures they do. I think it's a waste of time. If they're in a major retailer you want to be in, they're worth reaching out to. And then you can further vet the ones that show interest. It's not like because you reached out to them, now you're obligated to license to them. You're just showing them a product. So that's the way I would look at it. Um, my Two Cents, who's a regular, um, name's Rick. Invent right student sign. Let's see. Uh, invent right student signed up for another six months because I like and need the coaching. 
I look at it as a learning the trade. Wow, that's really good, Rick. That's fantastic. Um, trade school for construction is four years. This is a, a numbers game. So, yeah, so he's a student of ours, and um, he signed up for another six months. He wants to continue to learn the trade of being a product developer and licensing his products. Thank you for that that comment, Rick. Absolutely. And I, it sounds like you wouldn't say that if you didn't believe that's not what we're doing. Um, on that note, I'll say that watching videos, watching this live stream, um, listening to this live stream, reading about licensing is not doing it. You think you might think you know it. You don't know anything until you do it. You could read about being a plumber until you actually get in the field and actually do stuff. You don't really know it. And licensing, that's very much the case. So when we coach and mentor somebody, um, we get them in the mix and we get them taking action and we give them accountability and they get like a half a step off their path with the right mindset. A lot of it's mindset coaches right there on top of them to make sure that they get back into the right mindset. Um, yeah. Uh, Dominique, uh, howdy, Andrew. First time on here. Thank you for all you're, you're doing. Thank you, Dominique. Um, uh, Kayleen, helpful software for designing products, question mark, any thoughts on CAD software compared to 3D modeling? I don't find it's right for most people. Um, it, the, you know, it's great that there's CAD software and 3D printers and 3D modeling software, but most people don't have the technical competency to learn it. And it might take them a half a year to learn it and they still might not like it. Um, most of our students, they come up with ideas and we do a 3D virtual prototype for them. You can throw a rock and hit somebody to do a 3D virtual prototype these days. And um, they don't need to learn that stuff. Now, we have one of our coaches, Keanu. He's licensed over 40 knives. He does pocket knives and knives. And um, and he learned to use CAD because he wanted to design. He really wanted to do that. But not all of you are that technical or want to learn to do that. And also, if you're messing around with that for a year, you, maybe you could have licensed three products in that time. So you have to analyze, is that something I want to do? If it's something you think you need to do, you probably don't. You can come up with creative ideas and get somebody to do a 3D design for you affordably these days. We do that for our students. It's included with our premium coaching program. And um, you don't need to spend God knows how much time learning that. Sometimes that software is very expensive. There's software like Google SketchUp. Personally, I don't know the 3D CAD software programs. And one day I'd like to learn it. I played around with Google SketchUp, got a little frustrated. But I have people that can do that. It's like Henry Ford said, you know, um, I think people were challenging. What do you know? You're not knowledgeable. And he uh, it's a famous story. And he said, well, come to my office. You can ask me anything. I'll have an answer. So this other industry leader came to his office and he had all his experts behind him. He said, go ahead, ask me a question. He asked a question. He's like, Hey, you answer that. Okay. Now you answer that. And, um, and he said, well, you're not answering. He's like, I don't need to, this is my team, you know? And so, um, when there's things like that, that are highly difficult to learn for some people. Um, now if you were a engineer for 20 years and you already know some CAD software and you want to learn, you want to get up to speed on the new software because you want to design your own program to a 3D printer or something, it might be right. I don't find it's right for most people, but I do think it's right for some. And there are incredible tools that we didn't have back in the day that we have now. So I think don't feel like it's necessary. It's something that you can do, but it's not something you need to do. Um, everybody is going to be different in that area. So that's my feedback there. 
Uh, Dominique, this is, this is, I really need your help like one-on-one. -on -one. So if you could give me a call, I'll explain what I have to go from there. Okay. So Dominique, go to inventright.com, inventright.com, click on contact us and book a call with Sylvia or Dana. They're both fantastic. They can explain to you how we can help and you can tell them where you are with things. So go to inventright.com and just click on the contact us page, book with Sylvia or Dana. Um, they're both super friendly. Um, Keelene, how much should inventors develop an intellectual property and practical skill set relating to the field compared to purchasing these services from others? Um, so our our approach is that you you don't go to an attorney. It's not necessary. And anything I share with you today is not legal advice, the opposite of what I just said. But please consult an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. So I'm telling you that our students don't need to go to an attorney early on is not legal advice. Okay. So um, we tell our students, you know, we give them software that you can get on our website called Smart IP. Our students get unlimited use of it, but you can do a one-time use of it too. And you can get something called a provisional patent application. And that gives you an entire year to say patent pending. It's like a stake in the sand from a year. I can get, I, I, I can legally say patent pending. Now it's not a patent. You need to file a full utility within a year, but that gives you enough time to see if anybody's interested. You've only spent $75 on a provisional patent. And um, that is smart to go and spend 10, 20 grand on a patent when you don't even know if there's interest yet, guys, you don't need to do that. Now, I have plenty of people that have done that before and that's fine, you've already done that, but don't do it again, okay? And it's an asset if you end up licensing it, but if you don't license it, it's a liability. You don't wanna to have to spend 10,000 every time you come up with a product idea. And quite often you can get the company to pay for the patent then. So, um, you know, the, the thing that I'll say about intellectual property and patents is 80% of it is just being creative. So when you file that provision, you think about all the variations, workarounds, improvements, and you include those like, oh, it could be like this. It could go like this, but it could also go like that or whatever else, right? So um, you, you wanna include those variations and most inventors don't do that. They don't give that to the other attorney and the attorney doesn't do it. And now you have garbage patents. You could spend $10,000 on a patent and you could have one of our students spending $75 on a provisional, but because they thought about the workarounds, improvements, variations, it'll have better protection than the one they did with a patent attorney. No kidding. So I think the main things that I want to relay is don't run out and file a patent on everything. Don't think that the patent search is the first thing to do. I would never, ever spend two seconds doing a patent search until you do a market search. I'm not saying don't do a patent search. I'm saying do a market search first. That's relevant. That shows you what is or isn't in the marketplace. A patent search just shows you what some Yahoo spent a bunch of money on. Doesn't mean it makes sense. Doesn't mean it's manufacturable. They're just supporting their, their attorney's kids' college education. Okay. So um, always do a market search first. Later, you can do a patent search. Realize that patent searches won't be problematic very often. Most of the time, you can work around them. And people are like, oh, but then they can work around me. No, because you're going to think about those variations, workarounds, improvements, and most other people don't. So it's a great, we just teach our students how to work the system rather than getting trapped in it and spending tons of money. And then your spouse is yelling at you about all the money you spent that was unnecessary. Okay. People get a serious false sense of moving forward by spending money on patents and prototypes. All the time I talk to people, they're like, well, I'm so far along. And I'm like, sorry about that. That was my phone. Um, I'm like, what do you mean by so far along? Well, I filed a patent. I'm like, 
that uh, that's not so far along. That means you filed a patent, you know. So it's 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 hilarious what people think are so far along. And if if I knew people weren't spending so much money, and I'm turning off my phone here, um, I it's not hilarious. It's sad, um, but just don't do it. We we save a lot of people from from themselves basically their own misperceptions about the process. Um, let's see. Let's see, that was Kayleen. Skywatcher, I just joined the stream. I have my patent pending receipt. You don't know if you filed a provisional or utility. I want to sell the rights to my product. How do I market this to companies that are in the area of my product? Great. So you want to license it to a company that's in the area of your product. And I know I just told you, don't go out and blow a bunch of money on a patent. I don't know if you have a provisional patent or a patent. But you do not need an issued patent, guys, to license a product, not even remotely. A provisional patent is just fine. And Skywatcher, if you spent the money in a full utility patent, hey, it is what it is. Just move forward with it. So keep watching our channel. And if you want some one-on-one -on -one help, go to inventright.com, click on contact us and book an appointment with us. We can show you how we can help. But you want to license your product. So you're absolutely right in the area of your product. So if you have a, a kitchen gadget, you want to license a company that sells kitchen gadgets. If you're selling gardening stuff, you license a company that sells gardening stuff. And it's going to be their money and it's going to be their workforce and it's going to be their existing distribution. You tap into all that. Way sexier than that stupid show Shark Tank. There, you're creating a business from scratch. Retailers really aren't that impressed with a shark. They're like, hey, yeah, I've seen this show before, so what? But I got this vendor over here. We have 20 products with them. It would mean a lot more to me if that if that vendor was coming to me. Let's say it's a gardening product with the gardening product than some guy from a TV show, okay? So when you license to that big gardening company and then they approach a buyer at Home Depot, that means something. Now, that big gardening company... You know, they're going to utilize their money, unlimited money for a product that sells well. And they, they're going to utilize their sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising. It's their freaking machine. Like one of our coaches licensed a company with 10,000 products. But let's say the gardening company had 500 products. The retailers are going to take that company seriously. And it's like a machine where you plug it in. Everybody at the company is doing something. For you to start your own one product company from scratch and do all that, God, and they, the retailer won't take you seriously. And then the other, the, the cherry on top, maybe they're at 30,000 stores. Holy crap, a license to this company. They're going to try to get in all those major retailers. They have those relationships. So that's what licensing is. So Skywatcher, hopefully that's helpful. That's great. But you can also license products without patents, people. You know, you can. we always tell our students, file a provisional patent. Some companies are like, I don't care about the patent. You can file it if you want. Other ones are like, yeah, I want the window dressing. And maybe they'll give you the, an advance on royalties to pay for the patent. Then others like uh, medical device companies, they're like, no, no, you got to have a patent, right? Do not be under the misperception. You can't do a licensing deal without a patent. What would they pay me for? Everybody says then. Well, you came to them with the product. Why shouldn't they pay you? And you preserved your, your rights just in case they were obsessed with patents by filing that provisional. They're like, we don't care. A big company with first-to-market distribution, they push it out there in a big way, fast, hard, because they got the money, they got the workforce. That's better protection than any patent, okay? I'm not saying patents aren't protection, but people overstate the value of patents. You know, that big company, 
if somebody's knocking them off and they send a cease and desist, they're not going to run around suing everybody. If you think you're going to sue everybody because somebody infringed your patent, are you freaking kidding me? But a big company sends a company cease and desist that's knocking them off. That costs them nothing. And that little guy's like, oh, crap. Okay, yeah, I'll stop. Now, some of them won't stop. But if the company you license to is selling 90% of the products that are like yours, and then the knockoffs are selling 10%, congratulations, you're successful. They're not knocking you off unless successful. And maybe the big company you license to at some point will go further than a cease and desist if they're making enough money. But they're not going to go, I'm going to eat up every cent of my profit to sue this guy that's barely eating into our profit. You know, So you got to be realistic with that. And if your attorney tells you otherwise, they're full of it. Ask them how many products they license. None. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, they're not practical. Um, if you tell an attorney, like, look, wait, wait a minute. So a patent, that's just a right to sue, right? Nobody's going to sue for me. They're going to be like, yeah. It, you know, but they're not going to tell you that up front. But it's true. Um, let's see who else we have here. Waleed. Hi, Andrew. If I approached a company with one aspect of my idea and they said no, can I approach them again with another aspect of the same idea? I, I, I think so. I think I would just be respectful. I would say I fully accept that you said no to this, but I've got a variant and make it like easy for them to like look at it within 30 to 60 seconds. Don't give you know, a long rambling email. You know, I know this wasn't right for you. I fully accept that, but I've got a variant. Now, use your common sense. If the, if, if the core concept is still completely the same and you just change a little something, you're probably wasting their time and you might irritate them. But if you've just got a significant variant and you make it really easy for them to understand um, the difference, yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's a big part of licensing. You made the relationship with the first product and now you're going to send them more. So when you get a no on a particular product, you didn't get rejected. You got an opportunity. You made a relationship. Now you can send them more products. And most inventors don't get that, but now you do. So uh, one person, Margie, said the video froze, but I think I didn't see anybody else type that in. So I think we're good. Um, let me go down to the bottom. Yeah, nobody else is typing that. So I think hopefully you're back, Margie. Let's see where I lost my place here. Uh, Richard, some ideas I'm working on have recently released on the internet. Now I have anxiety when looking at other products that I am working on. How do you deal with that? Okay, it is what it is. You're right. A lot of inventors have anxiety about finding something similar. It is what it is. If you are afraid of looking and then you show to a marketing manager, they're like, well, why would I license this from you? The exact same thing's right over here. You're wasting your time. You made a sell sheet. You made a PPA. You made all this effort to reach out. And then you got mud on your face because you didn't know what else was in the marketplace. No way. Now, if you're finding some things that are similar in the marketplace um, or even the exact same thing, great, Richard. It should validate to you that you have good ideas, okay, because people are selling these other products. And let's say it's the exact same thing. Now it's up to you to do a variation of that. So if you notice there's three companies selling kind of this thing and you thought it was unique, but you find out it's not, you go, well, I have validation that people want this. I'm gonna come up with a variant and I'm gonna pitch that, okay? So, so you know, I could say, accept, do your research, study the marketplace, 
don't put blinders on. It is what it is. Other companies will know what is or isn't in the marketplace. That's the reality you're dealing with. You can't live in fantasy land, you know, and so and you'll just be wasting your time because they'll find it later. So but to think that if you come up with something, then you find something, you go, oh, and you just feel this incredible sense of being deflated. That's not what you should feel. You go, oh, OK, it's kind of like, oh, crap. Okay. Oh, crap. So you say it, you're going a little disappointed. You're like, immediately you should be going, well, how can I make this even better? I've been thinking about this thing for a long time. Why would you just throw it in the garbage can? You could probably think about a variant to it too. Maybe you already have. Well, I'll make it even better. And if that thing's selling, well, then mine will sell. And if mine was on the shelf next to the other one, 75% of people buy mine over that one, you got a product. So don't quit when you find the exact same thing try to reinvent it very very important uh let's see the the burnout is their handle can i fudge the patent pending status of my idea while i'm sending out the sell sheets i don't want to spend 75 dollars a week while i develop new ideas well who says a week i mean i don't know if you're one of our students or not i don't think you are but um i my guess is you're not doing a lot of things right. So if you're if you're working on a new product a week where you have a great sell sheet, sorry guys, I, I'm trying to I gotta stick my I gotta stick my pen in here to move this. Ah, I'll figure it out later. But um so if you're working on one pr new product a week, I think if you really know know your stuff, you could do that. You could crank out a sell sheet, make a list of 30 companies, you know, work, but my guess is you're not doing that. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it's $75. I mean, like, if you don't have that amount of money to protect yourself, what are you doing? Like, you can work on 10 products. It's still only $750. That's better than $10,000 on a patent. I know we reduce people's cost to very, very low with the InventRight approach, but to not be willing to spend $75. Now, the only time where I think it might, and I'm not giving legal advice, Let's say you get in the novelty business and, you know, you know, a couple companies, right? You made relationships because you sent them more products and you're just kind of like spitballing ideas out there and you're throwing out like, here's like five new ideas and you trust them, right? You might do that. I'm not advising you to do that. I'm advising you to always file a provisional because we advise our students to do, but you might do that and you, you accept that risk. Okay. Because novelty companies, they need a lot of ideas and you kind of throw things out and stuff. But if you're working on other products and other categories, I would still suggest filing a provisional patent application. Now, if you want to, you can do that, but you cannot fudge the patent pending. That's legally, that's illegal. You can't say, no, it's really cool for $75. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. You can say patent pending. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. So that's what you're buying for that 75 bucks. But you definitely can't say patent pending on something that you haven't filed a provisional or a full utility patent on. That is illegal. That is a lie. And I don't suggest lying to people. That's not right. Um, it's deceptive. So don't do that. Um, so, you know, I don't know how prolific you are. If you're working on one new product and you re you're very ambitious, if you're working on one new product a week and you're reaching out to 30 companies and you're doing the follow-up with that, pretty soon you're going to be doing follow-up with 500 people. And I have our students that have been trained know how to do that. And some of them are doing that. Some of them are not. But I kind of question whether you could have been reaching out to 30, but you're only reaching out to three. 
and when you say working on one new product a week, you don't want to spend the 75, um, is that you're not doing parts of the process right, and you'd be better off doing it right, reaching out to more companies, maybe having a great sell sheet, maybe your sell sheet sucks, maybe you're doing all this great, but my guess is you're not, because most inventors are not. Um, and But if you want to risk, if you want to risk not filing a provisional patent, you could do that, but don't put patent pending on there. Right. So if you want to be really prolific and you want to do that, you could do that because you're privately showing it for license. So anyway, um, let's see what we got here. Uh, oh, now I lost my place again. Let's see. Okay. Kayleen, are some inventors so financially strained? And since some of these skill sets are, as you said, fairly complex, that the conflict knocks them out of the game. I don't think licensing is complex at all. I think it's the opposite. The event right approach we teach our students, the problem is people aren't disciplined and they don't have the right mindset and they don't have the persistence and they're not consistently persistent and they're sending terrible sell sheets, their, their marketing piece. They're not reaching out to the right companies. They're not reaching out to enough companies. I don't think anything we teach is, I think it's something that 99% of everybody can do. Okay. I left 1% out because there's some people that, but you just have to go from dreaming up ideas to actually working on them. And that has nothing to do with the ideation and creation. Most of inventing and licensing, Kayleen, is actually very simple. But we found that people without the coaching and the guidance and the, to get in that mindset on a week by week basis and to really push it out, people don't have, most people don't have the ability to do that on their own and they come to the wrong conclusions. Um, but I don't think it's complicated at all. And also the way we teach it, unless you're just flat broke and you barely got two pennies rubbed together, anybody can do it with the approach we teach. You know, you can spend 75 on a provisional pen, a few bucks on a sell sheet and a virtual prototype and you're in the freaking game. And the rest of it's just your work. So you can do this very cost effectively. And it's not rocket science whatsoever, but it's a mindset and you have to be doing it right. And the devil's in the details, you know. Um, so thank you. I think you're, Kayleen, I believe you're new. So thank you for that question. Um, um, Margie said, thank you for all your advice. Will you be here on here next Monday? Good question, Margie. Um no, I'm taking Monday off. The whole company is taking Monday off. I had to think about that because I'm self-employed and I barely take any time off. But the whole company, all of them, right, is shut down on Monday for Christmas because it falls on the weekend. So we will. I will not be here next Monday. Thank you for reminding me so I can remind everybody. So you guys are just going to have to miss me terribly next Monday. Um, let's see. Dave uh, says, how do you I figure out the language for my PPA? So the most important thing is to think about the variations, workarounds, improvements. Don't just go, well, it's like this. Well, if there's five other ways that it could be like that are just as good and somebody can work right around it, your patent's useless. So be an inventor. Think about the variations. All you need to do is be an inventor to do that. You don't need to be a patent attorney to do that. Now, for the wording, I would recommend getting our smart IP software that will guide you to file to write that provisional patent. So it's called Smart IP, and you can find it on our website, inventright.com. That will guide you through the wording. We give that to all our students, but you can buy it separately 
on our website for 99 bucks. Actually, we were planning on raising the price, but we have a glitch with our software. Well, our website interface, and it might take us a while before we fix that, probably another six months. So at some point, we'll probably end up be raising it to 149 but it's only $99, and you can file one provisional with that. Now, if you're a member of ours, then you can file unlimited provisionals with the unlimited version. Um, uh, Daddy Do is their handle. Uh, says, Shalom, I have ideas that are guaranteed to make billions of dollars. Dude, never say that. Um, but I have no one to speak to, but I want to get them up and running. What do you suggest? I almost I almost feel like somebody's spoofing me or something. Um, guys, never say that. Just don't, even if you believe it's true. Billions of dollars. Really? Billions? Billions? So more than a billion. So how much is how much is a billion, people? A hundred million? No. Five hundred million? No. Nine hundred and ninety-nine million? No, more than 999 million. Uh, I don't, I've never had a student that's earned that kind of royalties, you know, or sold a product that made a billion dollars. Okay. So um, I don't know if you're messing with me, but this is what I'm, the lesson I'm going to pull from this is never, ever, ever say that. Don't say we're going to make millions with a company. You know, we'll make millions together. And I'll give you another thing you never say. Oh, if we only get 1% of the market, we'll make millions. Never say that, guys. Just don't. Um, so thank you, Daddy Do, for for posting that. Because I'm just going to tell you, you never, ever want to say that. And you're wrong. Your products probably are not going to make billions. Um, billions. They might make millions, but probably not billions. Okay. So, and don't ever say that to people. Now, if you just want to say, I'm excited about my products and I think they're worth a lot and I think they're great ideas, okay. But don't use that wording, all right? Uh, Chris said, hello, Andrew. I'm new to your show, so my questions have already been asked. Um, already been asked, okay. Can a PPA be changed before the year or can you be, or can it be reapplied for? So provisional, I get this question all the time. Provisional patents, the only way you can change it is just to file another one. So you file one, let's say it was eight months ago and it has A and B in it. You can't, the only way you can get that priority date is to file a full utility and reference that provisional. Then you'll have the date from that protection. So if you come up with a new, you're like, oh crap, I came up with another version of this. I want to add something. Take that same provisional and add B. As I say, it A and B, the first one, and then the second one you file has C. And you just take that same provisional, and you add whatever information, and now you're protected for C from that new date for a year out. They're completely separate. Okay. They're not connected in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Now, if you file a full utility within a year of both of those, you can reference them both and you'll have protection for A and B from the first date and C from the next date. Okay. So you just take that provisional, you file it again, you add new information. That's what you do. Okay. Um, and now we got spammers on here. So let's see, report. And there we go. Okay. It's probably a bot that was doing it. Oh, I got a bunch on there. Report. There we go. I didn't even get rid of all of them. Report. There we go. It just bothered me. Probably probably should just let it go, guys. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, there you go. Hopefully that was helpful, Chris. 
Um, if you guys think I'm helpful, man, can you imagine having a coach? They're looking at your product. They're going, oh, for your product, you want to do this, this, and this. Oh, that company said that? Okay, say this back. That's what we do. So if you want to learn more about that, go to inventright.com and click on contact us and booking a call with uh, Sylvia or Dana. We're super friendly guys. You might be like, I don't know yet. But if you just want to investigate, they will not hound you, anything like that. That's not us. That's not our profile. So feel free to talk to them. Go, you know, I'm not ready yet. Maybe sometime in 2023 or whatever, but you should still talk to them if if you want to. Uh, what a uh, Gladiator said, uh, what if I sell my 3D designs on my Etsy shop? Is that protection against someone who then patents the idea and forces me out of selling my original idea? No, you wouldn't. They wouldn't be the first true inventor, so they couldn't do that because you could show that you were selling it. But what you're doing is you're making public disclosure. So if that's been up publicly anywhere for more than a year, you're toast. You can't get a patent on it. And to be honest, you're you're already compromising your patent rights just by making it publicly available. Um, but just to be on the blatant side, if it's up there more than a year, if it's in the public domain for more than a year, you haven't filed for a patent on it, you will lose your rights. Now, let's say it's this stapler, but then you add something to it, okay? You could get protection on that improvement that has not been publicly disclosed. But no, somebody can't patent something that you had publicly and was sold publicly, you could invalidate their patent by saying, no, I publicly disclosed this for more than a year, it's public domain. So they're not going to come to you and try to sue you. Now they could try, but you could invalidate their patent. Have I ever seen that happen? Never. Could it? Yeah, it could happen, but I've never seen it happen. But you could invalidate their patent just showing them that they are not the first true inventor and their patent would be useless. Um, Alexander said, hi, Andrew. I'm afraid to talk about to someone else about my ideas. How do I protect? I just read it like you guys write it. How do I protect myself? I search and these ideas, products don't exist. How do I protect myself? Said it twice. How, uh, how do I advise me to move forward? So Alexander, you're probably pretty new and that's okay. A lot of people are worried about that. So first of all, don't show it to anybody. And when you're gonna license it before you show it to companies, file a provisional patent application. You can use that smart IP software on our website, but it does you no good if you don't know how to reach out to companies. I get people all the time, they get the warm and fuzzies. Oh, I got to file that provisional patent. I'm so happy. And they just sit on their hands for a year and then the provisional runs out. Now, don't let patent attorneys make you believe that you've lost your rights then. You know, you've lost that date. You could file that same provisional again if you haven't made public disclosure and you could get another year. But what's the point if you're not going to reach out? So the answer to you, um, that was uh, Alexander, is to file a provisional patent applications called a PPA. And you can learn more about that by going to inventright.com, clicking smart, looking, searching for smart IP or just typing patents and buying our smart IP software. But again, without knowing how to license the product to a big company, you're going to feel a warm and fuzzies, you're protected. And that's a false sense of moving forward because if you don't know how to license it, what's the point, right? But if it's only 75 bucks and you sit on your hand for eight months, and then finally work on it, and it makes you feel better, great, but it's, again, a false sense of moving forward to file provisionals and not know how to license them, okay? But that's what we specialize in. We know how to guide people to license. Uh, Keelan said, you're welcome for answering the questions, Keelan. Um, uh, Mer, 
Mercurius, I think I got this right, Mercurius Designs. Um, hi, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to give away all this information. If you ask me, these sessions are invaluable to any product designer wanting to license their inventions. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, uh, has InventRight considered moving content onto Spotify or other platforms? Yes. And, uh, you know, we're currently, we're on app, we're on iTunes with our entire YouTube show. And we really got to, we just talking about that last week. You got to get on Spotify and Amazon Music. Absolutely. This live stream too. Some of you might be, some of you, some of you might be walking around and um, want to listen to it. You know, um, so, uh, yeah, but it is on iTunes. So if you want to just listen to the stream, um, check that out. William said, so you only have one, one year to bring your market ID to market before you have a, buy a patent. So you don't buy a patent. Um, you're granted a patent, but that's okay. Um, yeah, you, you don't want to publicly disclose your invention, guys. That's going to start the, what's called the one-year on-bar rule from ticking. And even though I'm telling you you have to do it within a year, you're compromising your filing rights because somebody else could get there first and there could be a debate. Um, so when you're licensing, um, but no, you don't just have a year when you file a provisional patent. If you hadn't made public disclosure, you could get more time and it's kind of up for debate a little bit, but really only with a very, maybe two or 3% of patent attorneys, everybody I've talked to privately showing up for a license is not considered public disclosure. So it's not like when your PPA runs out, lose all your rights, you could file a provisional and get another year. Now, some people believe that most people believe that the, the one year privately showing it for a license is not considered public disclosure, and that's still up for a debate a little bit. Have I ever seen it bit one, by one, from a practical standpoint bite one of our students in the butt? No, we've had students in 65 countries. People worry about crap that never comes up. People make up these fictitious scenarios, and I'm like, okay, in 25 years, I've never seen that happen. They're like, oh, thank you. That gives me some perspective. So it's okay to worry about these things. So I wouldn't, wouldn't be worried about that. Like after a year, you're toast, William. You are not toast, okay? Now, I'm saying if you make public disclosure of your invention, it's not privately showing it for license, and a year after that, if you haven't filed something, you are toast on that. Now, you could always still do an improvement, something you haven't publicly disclosed about. It. So so that you're, you're welcome, Ed, at saying thank you. Um, uh, Richard said, can you protect memes or Hallmark cards? You can copyright stuff. I mean, and that's just done as a common law copyright, put a little C around it. But you, Hallmark is not open to licensing cards last time I checked. So don't, the, everybody and their grandmother wants to do a card and so they're not open. Um, uh, but you're asking, can you protect memes or Hallmark cards? Yes. Can you license them? Not, not really. Yes, you could license your card to a small card company. Would I would I recommend doing a, a consumer product instead? Hell yeah, uh, I wouldn't bother with it. Um, uh, Dave said, "Can I file a PPA on a product without working on a prototype to prove that it works?" Absolutely, the vast majority of our students do. You're like, I know they can make it. I'm just having a hard time making it. I'm going to sell the benefits in a sell sheet. That's the big. That's the big crux of the invent right approach. Sell the benefit. You're not selling your prototype or a patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. Absolutely. 
Hill Dog. Hi, Andrew. Is there a video that shows from start to finish how an inventor keeps everything organized from hit list to pitching and everything in between? Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's our membership. So we have our 10-step system and, you know, includes coaching too. And our, our membership includes videos on just that. Um, William said, thank you for your help. You're welcome, William. Okay, I'll do this last one and then we're going to call it, call it a day. Hi, Andrew. Love the show. What do you do when you have a bunch of ideas and you're feeling stuck? Hmm. Well, you need to look at each. You have a bunch of ideas. So you need to look at each idea and figure out the one that's going to be the most licensable. Now, if you don't have an expert guiding you, you might not know which one's the most licensable. I pick the easiest one, the one that has the biggest benefit, the one that you believe that it can implement the best with the easiest to understand benefit that you can make a marketing piece on. One also that has a nice big list of companies, maybe 20 or 30 companies, not the one that you only have two of. Now, a lot of you think you only have two companies and somebody like myself look at it and go, no, you got 30. You're not looking at this right. Or one of our coaches would do that. So I would basically pick through those ideas. You got a bunch of ideas, figure out which one to work on and then learn the skills and apply it, whether it's watching our videos or joining our coaching program but you got to have somebody to guide you to work on that project. And really, to be honest, if you, if you became a student, you would do that with a coach. They would go through the upsides and downsides of each project, tell you which ones are easier and harder, and then you would start to learn that. But if you're going to do it on your own, you're going to need to do that on your own, which I find that most people aren't that very good at it. But we do train people on that to be good at it. Um, Skywatcher says, thank you, Andrew. You're very informative. I've got a lot more info than I expected. I'm going to take a leap of faith and join the program. Great. That's that's excellent. That's fantastic. Yeah. So just book on our contact us page and talk to Sylvia or Dana if you haven't. Um, uh, OA, I can't help myself. Uh, once you successfully licensed it, keep answering questions. A product, has anyone helped sell the product like drop shipping? Had anyone helped? Well, when you license a product, you're not doing that drop shipping crap. You're, you're licensing to a big-ass company with distribution at retail. Maybe they've got products on Amazon that have 20,000 reviews, that sort of thing. So you don't need to do that drop shipping thing. A company, this big company, is going to do what they already do. And the reason why they were on your list to contact, because they have incredible distribution, drop shipping stuff is for individuals wanting to sell a here and there. And um, it's, it's dying in a lot of ways. I know there's a lot of YouTube videos about it and stuff. Um, but all right, good deal. So again, down below, if you want to do me a favor, click down below, click, uh, subscribe, click the notification button. If you have anything positive to say about my live stream, cause it will get stuck in the recording, which is great. So everybody can see it. Please type in your thank yous at the bottom there. Um, I'll stick, I'll keep it live for a little bit. So you guys can still type. I think I can stop the video and I think you can still type. Not 100% sure about that. Um, but if you have any thank yous, go ahead and type them in. And I remind you guys, take care and keep inventing. And we'll catch up with you next time. See ya. Bye.